This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we discuss how you can make a living as a flight instructor with John from Fly 8 Mike Alpha. But before we begin, we have a few announcements. First of all, if you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, I know we're getting a lot of listener mail because of uh, what's happening with COVID-19. Uh, have a lot of time on your hands. We're trying to get to those as much as we can. We'll have a, we're going, by the way, to two podcasts a week. We were just doing one uh, just so we can catch up on all of the uh, episodes here. Also at aviationcareerspodcast.com, you can find the scholarships guide our career coaching, and various online courses that have to do with your career in aviation. Just put out a new one about uh, your resume, the five simple steps to making your resume. But uh, Oh, and don't forget, if you're going to get the scholarships guide, uh, use the coupon code PAYITFORWARD, all one word. And if you're interested in helping somebody get one of those scholarships guides, we have the Pay It Forward campaign. You can click on the link there, the Pay It Forward link. It'll talk to you about how you can help out as a patron. Every $10 we raise, we give away one scholarships guide. That guide's good for one year. Give updates every month. Current guide has uh, 64 new scholarships, six updates, and uh, the new category, Scholarships for Adults. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. We're starting to put uh, videos back up there, and that's where you can also find our most latest one. We did a vlog going down to uh, Okeechobee and flying down there, and also the uh, Five Simple Steps uh, video is out there. Anyway, without further ado, uh, we have a, a guest today, and John Kotwicki is a flight instructor and an incredible online content creator uh, who's been doing a wonderful job inspiring people to fly, and uh, he's at Fly 8 Mike Alpha. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate, uh, appreciate you having us here. You know, John, one of the things that I love about your channel, and I think gets a lot of views, is the fact that you actually left uh, the airlines and went back to flight instructing. So we're going to focus on making a living as a flight instructor because a lot of people take that route, and we don't talk about it enough. Tell us a little bit about your story as far as going from the airlines back to flight instructing, and then we'll dive into actual instruction jobs. Yeah, well, you know, um, honestly, when I went to the airlines, it was something I never really had planned to do. I'd, I'd started instructing, and that was really my path. That was what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I got a little burnt out after a while. Um, initially, I thought I might be able to go to the Air Force. And, uh, you know, with uh, just eyesight and whatever, wasn't quite good enough um, for Air Force standards. Luckily, it's good enough for a first-class medical. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I'm getting a little burnt out here. And somebody came along, they wanted to buy the flight school that we were running down there in Venice, Florida, and said, hey, now is a great time. Let, let me go try it. And uh, so that's what I did. I went to try it and liked it. You know, there's it's fun. There's nothing to not like about flying a jet going fast. It's uh, it's fun. But it quickly became rather monotonous. Uh, it lost its challenge pretty quick. And I just missed flying general aviation aircraft. I, I didn't own an airplane any longer when I was at the airlines. I couldn't afford to own an airplane really on a regional pilot salary. And uh, I just missed instructing. And so I still did some instruction on the side uh, while I was at the airlines on my days off. And then I also uh, continued making YouTube videos for students. And 
finally the day kind of came where I think it was actually when I uh, finally went up to Alaska and that was really kind of drove home the point for me was, man, I spent a week flying around Alaska, general aviation, um, you know, hopping into Cessna 170s and Cubs and, and really experiencing the landscape. And I just didn't want to go back to work. So I wanted to get back into general aviation. Also helped that I met a girl up in Alaska that uh, also really enjoys flying. And that's, uh, that was kind of the end of the airlines for me. That was uh time for me to say, look, you know, general aviation makes me happy. And 40 years from now, I can either have, you know, flowing, you know, tin cans across the country thousands of times and move people around. Or 40 years from now, I can say, hey, I made thousands of pilots, you know, and, and what's going to be more rewarding for me in the end. And so I chose the instruction route. I think what you did, and the point is very uh, apropos, that we have to do something that really is important to us, that makes our you know, internal being happy, and mm-hmm. also gives back to the community, and that's what you're doing. Yeah, and I, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. You know, whether I'm instructing a student, whether somebody is just watching a YouTube video and saying, hey, this really helped me out, if I'm getting a phone call and fielding questions or responding to emails or just talking to somebody at the airport that's struggling on something with their instructor and looking for a little bit of feedback, how they can improve on a certain you know landing or a certain radio call or whatever it might be, it's always fun and it is very rewarding to know that you're having a positive impact Uh, especially in something that's important to me, like aviation, you know, and being able to share that with others and let them have some of the same experiences that I've been lucky enough to have around the country. Yeah, sharing this wonderful world is what you do on on the YouTube channel, and I think that's awesome. And by the way, in the show notes, we're going to have a link to a video. You did a lengthy explanation as to why you quit your, your airline job and came back to flight instructing. There's also so many other cool videos out there. You talked about flying in Alaska. But today... You know, John, I really want to talk about making a living as a flight instructor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned the regionals. I actually, it took me over three years at the regionals to make the same amount of money I was making as a flight instructor. And I wasn't flight instructing very far from where you were. And boy, I I was so, it was so rewarding being a flight instructor, but it also was rewarding on a cash basis. So my question to you is Mm -hmm. this, John, can you make a living as a flight instructor? Absolutely. And uh, that was one of the funniest parts of uh, if, if somebody's just bored tonight, they want to click on that, why I quit the airline uh, you know, pilot video, why I quit being an airline pilot. And they look at the comments section. You don't even have to watch the video. Just go down in the comments section and grab a bowl of popcorn and just read for the entertainment. But one of the things that people hammered me on was how could you ever you know, leave the airlines and make more money flight instructing. You're so silly. You don't want to put in the effort. You didn't want to stick it out. You could have made way more money as an airline pilot. And honestly, I make a good living as a flight instructor. Um, Obviously, it ranges where you're at in the country and what you're charging and your experience level. But I am fortunate enough to make a very good living as a flight instructor. And it's possible really for anyone who wants to do that. Uh, If you just want to make money, maybe it's not for you. But if you want to be a flight instructor and be able to feed your family, it's certainly achievable. So as far as feeding your family as an instructor, there's many ways to do that. And people ask the question, how much can flight instructors make? So from your experience, from the beginning flight instructor, someone who's much more experienced like yourself, about what, what is the range there? Well, the range is about as crazy as it is at the airlines, right? So we saw regional pilots starting out at uh, 30 bucks an hour, which is really you know $30,000 per year. Uh, because you're paid per flight hour, you're flying about a thousand hours or less per year. So 
And then those same guys, you know, 30 years later at the airlines, well, they're making 300, 350,000 per year. You're not going to have quite the same range in flight instruction, but yeah, your first year, maybe you're going to be at $30,000, maybe a little more. It could be depending where you're at in the country, depending what kind of instruction you do and what your background already is. And then from there, second year, easy 50 grand, third year, easy to bump into 75, a hundred thousand. And, uh, pretty sustainable to make over, uh, to make six figures, make over a hundred thousand dollars as a flight instructor. Obviously things in the market happen, right? 2008, COVID-19, you know, things happen September 11th, but those are minor disruptions. They last, um, a relatively short time in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, if you weather through it, it, it you'll still be making, if you decide to do this as a career, you'll be making six figures. Um, or if you want to work a lot less, there's some guys that only like working three, four days a week, well, you can make a comfortable living of sixty to $75,000 a year working, you know, half weeks, basically. I think the comment I get often is, the numbers we're talking about seem a little high. And, and I think a lot of people that are listening are just starting out. You know, when you're just starting out in anything, you're not going to make a ton of money. It's not until you actually get a little experience and then start bringing on more and more students. Then the money starts rolling in. It does take a little while, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's taken for me, uh, thinking back here, I've been instructing now about six years, um, going on seven years. So yeah, it's taken time. Uh, it's taken time to get to this place where, I can say, you know, I charge $100 per hour for, for a flight hour of instruction. Um, a lot of people say that, wow, that's really high. You know, that's that's just obnoxious. And well, you know, I can teach somebody a lot quicker and a lot more thorough than somebody who's charging $50 per hour or somebody who's charging less. And in these flight schools, a lot of them are charging $60, $75 per hour, paying their CFIs $15 or $20. And well, you're getting that $15 or $20 an hour quality. You're not getting the $75 an hour quality just because you're sitting inside of a nice air-conditioned building, you know, with a comfy couch. So the instruction jobs that are out there, and I know we're talking, Mm -hmm. and, and the value is there. What is out there as far as jobs? Well, what is out there as far as jobs in the CFI market Anything from walking into your regular FBO, your mom and pop FBO, uh, and starting out at $20 per hour, maybe you know $30 per hour, depending on what part of the country you're in. There's jobs at places like ATP, uh, large Part 61 schools, nationwide brands. Uh, those guys are seeing $8, $10, $12 an hour. Uh, they're really there just to get their flight hours. That's their business model. Um you know, that's, that's how they choose to do it. You know, if you go to ATP, you get a promise of, uh, being a flight instructor for them, promise of having a job, but it's a pretty low paying job. And what else is out there? Well, uh, being a subcontractor, being self-employed, uh, being an independent contractor as a CFI, which a lot of flight schools are paying you that way anyways. Obviously, if you're going to work for a flying club, if you're going to work for yourself in a lot of flight schools in Florida, they pay 1099. They pay as a subcontractor. They do that in Alaska as well, uh, where we're based out of now. And, uh, you, you can do, well, obviously, you know, you're always going to make the most money working for yourself. Uh, it's, it's rare that you're going to go to work for somebody else and make more money because, well, obviously they want to make some money off of you. So working for yourself is the best way to take home the largest paycheck. Yeah. The best way to get started though, is, is get out there and fly for anybody, get the experience. But I think what you said is Mm -hmm. correct in anything. As far as the actual life of somebody who is an independent instructor, what's that like? Well, and that's one thing that interesting that you brought up is, you know, starting out. And I would never dissuade somebody from working for one of those schools, even if it is only 15, 20 bucks an hour for some amount of time. A huge mistake I made in my flight instruction career. I got my CFI, it was July 1st, I want to say. 
and I own my own 172 and I got it from a 141 school, but I, it was just part 61. I wasn't affiliated with them. And I went to an airport just a few miles away and put a sign on the side of the road. And I said, you know, discovery flights and flight instruction. And I started getting some students and about two or three weeks into it, I called up to the FISDO and talked to the guy that I did my CFI check ride with. It was one of the safety inspectors from the FISDO there. And I said, uh, thanks so much for giving me the CFI. I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't have a chief CFI or anyone more experienced to go to. I don't have that mentor that I can, that is in my flight school, right? Because my flight school involves, you know, the back seat of my car, basically, or the trunk of my car, a 172 and a grass strip, you know, on the side of the road here. And yeah, I was able to make a living at it. Uh, I learned a lot, but I, I was missing that first initial step. And that's when I got hooked up with the fast team and it, it all worked out. I was able to work with the fast team, find mentors to help me become a better instructor to answer my questions of, Hey, I, I, I'm having a hard time teaching this guy out of the land. What do I do? And so that's one benefit to starting out working in a school. And now getting back to the question of what is life as an independent instructor like? Well, ultimately, uh, when you're first starting out and you go the independent route, the best thing is if you're working for a flight school, you're not stealing students from them, but maybe you're part-timing on the side on your own. Maybe you're bringing in some of your own students into the flight school and they're letting you just rent the aircraft. And then the students you bring in, you get to charge your own rate to, you're not having to pay uh, basically the cover charge, so to speak, or pay the, the house fee back to the flight school. So initially it might look like that where you're kind of part-time at a flight school and then part-time independent instructing for a flying club for some local guys, uh, you know, at the local EA chapter, belong to the local EA chapter, join that, join any local flying club you have network around the airport is the best way. You got to get a network. You got to make some friends around the airport to spread the word, hang your hat out there. And then it's going to be initially kind of hit and miss. You'll have your busy days. You'll do those 12 hour days at the airport, 14 hour days where you, you clock out at eight hours in the, on the Hobbs meter and, you know, 12, 14 hours at the airport. Uh, and then you'll have those days where, not much happens, you know, or you get a week of bad weather, no one comes coming in, nothing's happening. In the end, it all balances out. And over time, for me anyways, it was a steady uptick. And it still is. Um, even with what's going on with coronavirus, with uh, the stock market, with people kind of hurting right now, I'm booked up for months. I mean, I don't have openings on my schedule. Um, so the only reason for that really, though, is seven years, right? <laughs> seven years of teaching making it a point to be the best I could be as an instructor from day one and building that reputation, showing with my product, my students that, Hey, guys that train with John that, you know, use his videos or fly with him in the airplane or whatever it is, you know, they come out ahead of the game. They save time and money on their flight instruction. They're better and safer in the airplane and uh, they, they get what they're paying for. So it's, it's worth paying a little bit extra. So walk us through that. Like, a, what is the day like on a as an independent instructor? As far as you know, from when you get up in the morning till when sure. you go home. Well, um, so depending on uh, who I'm flying with, whatever, I might get to sleep in. I'm not a morning person. I like sleeping in until nine a.m., nine thirty in the morning. But uh, some days, you know, you're getting up at six a.m. You've got a big day planned. Uh, some guys, I'll get up early because I need to because they're older, maybe they're 60, 70 years old. They don't function well at 8 p.m. and they function best early in the morning. Plus it's a little bit calmer in the morning. And especially if I have a student that's struggling, well, I'm going to want to fly with them early in the morning or later in the evening when things are a little bit calmer. And if they're a little bit older in age, I'm going to have to adjust my schedule accordingly. Uh, so go to the airport. I try to stack my schedule the best way possible to 
make time slots available online where people can book time slots, but I don't let them schedule me at 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., you know, or 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then again at noon. So I got a three hour block of nothing. It's not not quite enough time to go home, but, you know, just three hours of sitting, not getting paid. So I try to be efficient with my schedule. And I can now because of the demand. Initially, I wasn't. Initially, I was flying at 8 a.m. And then I was sitting for two, three, four hours, fly again, sit for an hour, fly again, you know, and then go home. And so they were long days. Um, I, you know, my first year or two, I was basically living at the airport. Uh, I was flying seven days a week. And honestly, I, I like it. I, I, I liked it then. And uh, it was tiring, but uh, it's fun. I mean, I'm addicted to flying. So it worked out. I understand it can be tough and you can burn out doing that. And I started to a little bit. That's when I went to the airlines. Um, but, you know, I quickly realized that I, that I missed that. And I think the key is just stacking uh, your schedule correctly. It can be very long days, but once you have that following, people not only are willing to pay you more, they're willing to work around your schedule that you set and you can set your own hours of what a more normal work week would be. Uh, oftentimes I'm working Saturdays and Sundays because people have time off on the weekend. So my weekend becomes Tuesday, Wednesday uh, to give myself a little bit of time off. And a lot of my time is blocked off because of the amount of time we put into videos and creating online courses on flightmycalpha.com. So I don't do as much flight instruction as I used to. My busiest month ever was 140 hours. It was brutal. Um, now we're cutting back to somewhere in the 30 to 40 hours a month range. So how about avoiding burnout? Uh, I suggest to people don't do the seven days a week. Uh, what would you mm -hmm. suggest? You know, uh, I would suggest as well, you can do it initially if you need to, um, especially if you got loans you need to pay back. Uh, and mostly why you need to do seven days a week is because you cannot schedule your time efficiently because you're on other people's schedules because you can't pick and choose and they don't see, they say, well, you know, I got to go fishing on Saturday, so I need to fly with you at this time. But if you're really in demand and you've got a great reputation, they'll put off their fishing to go fly with you instead. And so it's what they're willing to forego to fly with you, not only forego money and pay you more, but also rearrange their schedule a little bit to fit your schedule more. And I think also explaining to your students, hey, look, I'm, I'm a person, I, I, I have a family, you know, especially if you do have a family, if you have kids and wife, you know, it's important if you're going to do it long term to make it look like a nine to five. And that's one of the beautiful things about being a career instructor is sleeping in your own bed every night. I did not like the hotel life with the airlines. I did not like you know, blocking in from a flight at midnight or 1am getting the hotel at 2am. And then the next trip, I was blocking in at, you know, noon, and I had to be up at 4am or something, you know, for a 5am push, you know, or getting up at 330 in the morning, it was not fun, the crazy ch schedule changes, this can be a lot more routine. And you can have that routine, you can go to the gym, you know, you can go ride a bike, you can go for walks, you can take care of your health, which is really important, something I did not do in the airlines. Uh, so that's uh, really how over time, again, first year or two, not so great. But uh, once you have that demand built in there, you can build things out and schedule your time a little bit more efficiently. Sleeping in your own bed, what a what a bonus that is! It is a huge bonus. <laughs> <laughs> the um, as far as being a flight instructor, going back to that, do would you suggest to people to specialize? I don't know, say in tailwheel instructing, that kind of thing. You know, uh, you can specialize. It will take time. Uh, I thought I had this brilliant idea one day, uh, maybe probably three, four years into instructing. 
I had moved two years into instructing from Michigan down to Florida. So I was relatively new in Florida, only been down here about six, seven months. And I said, I'm going to go buy an Aronka champ. And I'm going to be the only guy that teaches tailwheel all the way from, you know, Marco Island on up to, you know, Tampa, basically, you know, no one's really doing it uh, aside from out in Lakeland, but no one was really doing it in Sarasota uh, or Venice or Punta Gorda. So I'm going to do this and uh, I'm going to be the only guy and I'll be, I'll be busier than I can ever imagine. And, you know, a lot of people took interest uh, a lot of people, for whatever reason, uh, a lot of people said, wow, tailwheel airplanes are dangerous. I don't want to get in that. I'm, I've been flying nosewheel airplanes for 20, 30 years. And I said, well, we can do your BFR in the tailwheel airplane. We'll get you your tailwheel endorsement and your BFR done. No, I'd rather do my BFR in something I know. Okay, that's fine. I understand. In time, again, I bought the airplane. It wasn't really that busy for two, three, four, five months. Six months later, eight months later, that airplane was flying 60, 80 hours a month. And if I would have kept it, probably wouldn't have been flying 100 hours a month. Um, so yes, you can specialize. But again, when you start that specialty, it's going to take time to build up. Or maybe you'll find your specialty as you're going where you get one Cirrus client and then he tells his buddy and his other buddy or you get one Mooney client and he tells his buddy. And, and then before you know it, you know a lot about Moonies and you become the Mooney guy on the field. Uh, and it seems like most busier airports have a serious guy, a Mooney guy, uh, that know a lot about those airplanes, the mechanics of them, and as well as flying them. And that's how you can kind of find your niche. A lot of times you'll fall into it. Uh, but you can also look for something that interests you and, and try to make that a niche if you think there's a demand for it. As I'm listening to you, I'm realizing the most important thing too is listen to your customer and, and you gotta oh, yeah. do what they want. You got to do what the customer wants. And that's the hardest thing about being an instructor, career or not. Uh, you know, they're paying you. The customer is always right. But there's a difference between the customer paying you and, and you know, the customer is always right. If they say they just want to go fly, you know, and, and just fly in circles and that's fine. You'll go fly in circles with them. It, but your job as an instructor is to tell them, hey, this isn't helping you. This is a waste of time and money. And by the way, you're paying me for the instruction and my time to sit here. That's you're being a customer. I'm an instructor. I sign you off for free. I don't charge to write the endorsement in your logbook. You don't buy that. That's not for sale. You're going to have to earn it. So if we go fly around in circles and take pictures of your buddy's house or whatever, or fly down the beach and don't do the things I'm asking you to do, well, you're not going to get the endorsements. You're not going to progress in training. You're not going to get a license. The license isn't for sale. Private pilot license doesn't have a price on it. It's free. You just pay for the training and the knowledge to be able to earn that license, that certificate. So as far as instruction is concerned, you're in a region that's a really target-rich environment. What would you recommend to people that are looking regionally to get started as a flight instructor? They can go anywhere they want. Where would you suggest? Ooh, well, anywhere you want, I would say go somewhere that the cost of living is low so you can afford to be there. You can afford to get your start. And also spend some time looking at what the environment is like is, are you going to Phoenix where there's just a ton of flight schools that pay relatively, you know, entry level wages, you know, okay. If you're entry level, you could go there. If you're more experienced and you think you command a higher, uh, higher rate, well, maybe you want to work for a flying club or maybe you want to be your own independent contractor on a field. Look for somewhere, an airport that has a lot of flying clubs, a lot of private owners that would hire you. So Florida is great. Uh, Texas, Arizona, California, obviously in the South, good weather. Alaska is also very busy, but very much seasonally uh, due to the fact, well, it's pretty cold and people still do fly in the winter plenty, but the weather's not as good. Uh, but that's also a target rich environment for the sake of, you know, down and here in Florida, a lot of people own boats. I wish we could take all these guys that 
you know, own boats and make them pilots because guess what? It'd probably save them a little bit of money and we'd have a lot more people flying out there. But in Alaska, people don't own a lot of boats. There are plenty of boats, but people own airplanes for recreation rather than a boat. It's an airplane's a great tool in Alaska. It's a great tool in Florida, but you get a lot more utility out of it in Alaska. So anywhere that you see a lot of operations going in and out of an airport, uh, there's not, you know, any needle in a haystack that's, you know, like a diamond in a rough or anything great, but look for those busier GA airports and visit them before you just pick up and move. Uh, see what the demand is like down there. Call the flight schools. If they're hurting for CFIs, well, guess what? You're probably gonna have an easy time being an independent contractor on the field as well. If they're already hurting for CFIs, their students aren't able to schedule. Now you can come in and you can start your own business there. So do your own market research and uh, and visit. I love the fact you said that. A lot of people, they just jump in and they hear from their mm-hmm. friend, this is a good spot. I think it, it also gives you a better feel for the area and if it's a good fit for you. Absolutely. No, you really need to visit the place, um, you know, fill up your car with gas and drive down there. Uh, get a student who needs to build a lot of cross-country time, split the cost with them and fly down and go visit another area. And, uh, and call up other CFIs that are down there. Best way to find them, go on LinkedIn, go on Facebook groups, uh, post on these Facebook groups. Hey, I'm thinking about moving down here. Go on LinkedIn and find flight instructors in that area. Get in touch with them, message them. Hey, where do you work? What do you think it's like? Here's who I am. I'm thinking about coming to the area. What do you think? So maybe 90% of the people will ignore you and not return your message, not return your phone call. So what? That's fine. I mean, everyone's busy, but 10% of the people will. You know, if somebody messaged me that, I try to respond to those messages. Not always. Sometimes they fall through the cracks. But most of the time, somebody asks me, hey, what do you think about Venice? You were there a long time. I'll tell them what I think about it. Uh, You know, what do you think about Anchorage now that you're up there? Well, I'll tell you what I think about it. Circling back to what you said before, before we move on to what's going on today, one of the most important things I think in doing this is getting a mentor because a mentor can actually tell you all the things we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people out there, aren't there, that want to help you. There really is. Um, I mean, in fact, some people like dedicate entire podcasts to it. I don't know if you know that, Carl, um, but it seems like some people actually have podcasts about aviation careers <laughs> that will help guide you in your aviation career. And then there's Facebook groups and YouTube videos and all sorts of different things. But no, truly, there are people out there that are looking to help. Um, at the end of the day, the biggest thing that I try to say now, I didn't do this early on. I would always give my opinion. And people would listen to it. And then I realized people put way too much faith, in my opinion, a a dangerous amount, right? Right. And so now I really try to tell people, hey, this is where I think is great for me. This is where I think would be good for you. That's my opinion. It could be totally wrong. You have to find out for yourself. Uh, I can teach somebody how to fly an airplane. At the end of the day, they're going to have to be the one making the decisions when the engine catches the fire. You know, they can think back to what I said, or they might think up something better. They're going to own that decision. So it's up to you uh, to do your own research, to take everyone's opinion. But remember, people always have ulterior motives. And as as plain and even as I could try to be, and as objective as I could try to be, it, it's hard to not let your own personal feelings come through in certain areas, especially if I landed at an airport and just had a bad experience there. Maybe people were rude or unfriendly, or they were out of feel or whatever it was. And then you say, hey, what do you think of that place? And subconsciously, I, don't, I say, oh, I don't like it. And not that... I mean to, but just subconsciously, it's kind of, you know, I have a bad taste in my mouth for it. Yeah. Some people, they have different experiences and you have to go, that's why you have to do your research and that's why you got to mm-hmm. go show up and, and check it out. You, you know, John, being a flight instructor is one of the most amazing things in the world. I mean, you're, you're imparting knowledge, you're with them, you're coaching them, you're all sorts of things. You become part of their life. And that's something I think that you can't really put a, a dollar value on, can you? 
No, you really can't. And it's, um, you know, it's funny. Um, I will always remember my first CFI always and the guys that I've trained, they will always, you know, remember you. And, and it's, it's kind of a family member type thing, you know, where it's funny, even, you know, if you guys don't get along or something, or, you know, there's a failed check ride or whatever, you're still, that's the person who taught you how to fly that first one, especially that's probably the coolest thing about primary instruction. Cause honestly, there's really nothing that riveting about sitting in an airplane with somebody for 40, 50, 60 hours telling them something and them just ignoring you the whole time. Uh, it can be tedious, you know, six months into it, you try to put them on a two month track because they say they want to get it done quick. And, you know, a year later, you're looking at them going, hey, if you'd showed up, you know, more than once a month here for a lesson, we could get this done and it would save you time and money. It really would. But, uh, you know, even though you butt heads sometimes, you have that unmistakable bond. And that's really the cool thing about primary instruction, taking on those, those students when they first come into aviation, you get to build that bond with them. And uh, it's a special thing. It's something that I can feel good about uh, doing rather than all the other career options out there. You know, that special bond, it's, it's almost like being a parent because even now to this day, students I had over 20 years ago, they still call me their flight instructor. Yeah, no, they always will. And, um, it is very much like being a parent whenever I see my students now that, I mean, from years ago and they're flying around, some of them are at the airlines. Uh, some of them are flying GA, uh, whatever it might be, whenever you run into them, you always, you know, kind of say, Hey, how are you doing? What are you doing? Trying to make sure they're being safe. You know, you always have that, that umbilical cord attached still. And, uh, and they always, even when they're more experienced than you, will always hold your opinion in very high esteem. And that's something you have to be careful with because when I have a student that has thousands of hours now and he's asking me questions about his jet that he's flying, you know, his phenom that he flies for work. And I'm going, I appreciate you asking me because, you know, I was your CFI, but I've never flown a phenom. So I don't, I honestly don't know, but here's where we could probably go find out together. But you have to be careful dispensing advice, especially about things you don't know, because people will put way too much faith in it. Put a lot of faith in these YouTube videos. Um, anybody can make a YouTube video. You know, I think what you just said is defines a true professional. You know, someone that seeks advice from those that, that have more information than you have. And that's what's really important is to be a professional while you're in this field of flight instructing. It is really important. It's easy to get out of it. You know, I mean, there's who of us hasn't wanted to take that 172 when you're flight instructing and say, hey, man, I saw it on YouTube. Let's do a, let's do a loop. You know, hey, let's go buzz, you know, over uh, this girl's house. Let's go, you know, fly down the highway real low or go, you know, wind through this canyon. Well, there's lots of fun stuff that can be done. You know, and some of those things, you know, you want to go fly over the Grand Canyon. Well, that can be done safely. You want to go fly you know, through a canyon in Idaho that can be done safely, but it starts pushing those limits and, and finding that professional line and never stepping out of it. That's one thing that will really set your reputation and also dictate how much money you ha can make and how many students line up to fly with you. If you are always professional and you're, you're not out there cursing, you're not out there, you know, doing shoddy maintenance on your own aircraft. You're actually going out to your airplane and doing a pre-flight. I mean, what if you're telling students all day long to do a pre-flight and then you go out and just hop in the airplane, fire it up and go, or you don't put the grounding wire on when you fuel the airplane because you know, hey, most of the time it's not going to spark anyways. What kind of example does that show? And people start to lose faith and credibility in you and they value you a lot less and they're not going to want to call you up. And they're not going to want to pay you because you are just the same as any of those other guys out there that aren't really that experienced. 
That's very true. You know, John, we're uh, this has been great having you on and talking about being a flight instructor and and the professionalism. I, I love to end with that, but um, we have to talk about this. It's COVID nineteen that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could be listening to this like two years from now, but but I kind of want to look at it from the standpoint of challenging times. What are you yeah. doing during this challenging time to get through this? So uh, for us, you know, we're flying with who we can when we can. Um, for me, obviously, you know, a large part of, uh, my daily routine is online content, you know, is the website is YouTube videos, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. So I'm still very busy. Uh, a lot of other flight instructors out there are busier than ever because people are stuck at home right now. And well, flight instructing is in some States considered a essential service in some States. It's a great way to social distance or go recreate. And so I'm a little bit selective about who I hop in an airplane with right now because obviously you're in close quarters with them. Uh, but if I kind of know them and I know where they've been and I'm feeling comfortable about it, well, then we're still doing flight instruction. We're busier than ever. A lot of people have more time now than ever because they're working from home. And even when you have a recession and you get 10, 15% unemployment, that is terrible and devastating to the economy. 85% of the people are still employed. 85% of the people are probably making roughly what they made three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, if you have a depression and 20% or more are unemployed, 80% of the people are still employed. They may be a little bit more cautious. They may not want to spend so much, but people still need recreation. They still need outlets. People still want to fly for fun and people still need careers. There's still 16, 17, 18 year olds that are getting older that are progressing through their vocational training to become an electrician, a plumber, a pilot, an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever. We're always going to need flight instructors. And you will see uh, pockets of the country, you know, areas in the country where this is devastated, right? New York, where it's very much shut down. It's pretty tough to be a flight instructor there right now. You can get through this time. It, tough times don't last. Tough people do. If you're tough, you'll come out of this. You'll be better for it. And there's always going to be places in the country that are busy. There's places here, like in Florida right now, we're actually uh, outside of Alaska right now here in Florida. Uh, just due to some of the restrictions up there in Alaska and here in Florida and also up in Alaska, they're, they're hurting for flight instructors still. That's still a large demand for CFIs. And that's good to hear, you know, again, being regional specific, even during a crisis like this, you have to do your research. New York, yeah, it's a tough time up there. Uh, but I'm glad to hear that you're you're optimistic about this. And, you know, we'll get through this. It's just like any other period uh, that we've gone through. Mm-hmm. You know, John, John, something that I think is terrific about uh, you is, and it seems like every time I watch one of your videos, I actually learn something. And uh, so that's, that's good. That's our goal. <laughs> it is. So tell us a little bit about, because some people don't know what Fly 8 Mike Alpha is. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what you do online and uh, what how people can benefit from actually going to your website. Sure. So aside from being a tongue twister, Fly 8 Mike Alpha, uh, that name that some people have trouble with, Fly 8 Mike Alpha, uh, that is our website, fly8mikealpha.com. That's our company. And we provide private pilot, instrument pilot, commercial pilot ground school, now CFI ground school. And the CFI ground school is kind of cool. It's a whole kit, right? So it's not just a ground school, but it's also all your lesson plans. It's all that stuff. And it's a whole kit that we're rolling out uh, in uh, June 1st here. That is actually how to be an independent contractor CFI. So how to go to an airport, get a hangar, get an airplane, how to finance the airplane, how to do all that stuff and how to start your own business being a CFI, making a living doing this and providing good quality service. And that's all included in our CFI kit. We have different things like tailwheel courses on there, uh, seaplane courses. 
anything that you want to learn about aviation wise is probably either on the site. And if you can't find it on there, well, you can find our phone number and you can reach out to us via phone or email and we can fill you in or show you where that is on the site. Of course, we also have the YouTube channel. Uh, if you just type FLY8MA into YouTube, you'll come up with a bunch of our videos, everything from private instrument commercial vlog stuff as we fly across the country, educational videos as we fly across the country from Florida to Alaska, uh, and then from there over to Ohio and Maine, back out to Nevada, and we zigzagged across the country several times, trying to make real-world scenario videos showing you just what we encounter as we fly down the Hudson River in New York, or what we encounter when we land you know, at the foot of a glacier in Alaska, what kind of considerations we take into account when we're flying around thunderstorms in Florida or dust storms in New Mexico, all those things that we can't combine into a private pilot ground school. It'd be way too meaty and just kind of an excess amount of knowledge for a private pilot, but all those things that you really want to learn after your training. And that's what I think our videos really help do is take the person once they get through their training. Also, you know, it gets you through the training, your flight training, your written exam, all that stuff, but it'll also fill you in on everything you need to know after that, fill in all those holes of the real world knowledge you need to be safe out there in the air. And let's not forget they're fun to watch. Well, we try to make them fun uh, <laughs> and, and they're fun to make. And I think they're fun to watch. So it's um, for me, I mean, am I a, an independent instructor? Am I a career instructor? Yes. It's a little different because I also, you know, play with these videos and all this other stuff, which is really fun because I, I like video editing. I like playing with cameras. I like photography. So I combine all these different hobbies of mine into a career, which is awesome because I've got to tell you, Carl, like I haven't gone to work really in, in years. It feels like, I mean, I don't feel like I go to work ever. Uh, when I'm scheduled with a student, it doesn't feel like work. When I go to the airport today, we, uh, we started a whole series on YouTube and as well as on the website of tearing apart an old Piper Cherokee, pulling the skins off it, showing you what is inside the wing, what's inside the fuselage, the empennage, what's your vertical stabilizer made of showing you the inner workings of the engine. And we're just destroying this airplane, uh, sadly, but also in a very fun way. And it's, it's fun. I mean, I just, I never stop having fun, uh, aside from when the camera batteries die halfway through the video, that's always a bummer, but, uh, it's just a lot of fun making this content and hopefully it's fun for everyone else to, to watch and enjoy. Yeah, I've been enjoying it. I'm sure people can learn something from it and get some enjoyment at it. Fly8MikeAlpha.com. You can find everything there. Uh, you can get links to the YouTube channel. It's real simple to find. I'll have links, by the way, in the show notes. You know, before you go, John, I'd like to say, first of all, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for coming by. I really appreciate it. I love the the fact that you are so positive in, in an environment that many people are looking at as a negative environment. Yeah, well, thanks for, for thanks for having me, Carl. Um, it's always fun to to do these and come on and, and get to chat aviation. Um, talking airplanes, you know, I mean, we can do this for hours, right? Um, <laughs> who doesn't want to sit around and hang and talk about airplanes? Uh, but yeah, I think staying positive is a very important thing. A lot of the things that are happening right now are out of our control. Uh, and the bottom line is the world is still turning. People still need airplanes. They still want to go have fun. And for the most part, most people still have the same amount of money in their pocket or in their bank account that they did, you know, two, three months ago uh, before all this started. So things will also get better. I mean, it's it's the American spirit. It's how our country works is people just when times are tough, they get tougher and they get through them. And I think that once we're through this, it'll take time. I mean, it's hard to speculate six months, a year or two years uh, of what kind of a lull we're going to be in here with the airlines 
in the aviation industry. Uh, certain parts will come back sooner than others. Uh, this summer is looking rough for a lot of tour operators uh, that that make most of their money in the summer. But next year could be very different, and I'm I am certain that in a year or two, you know, somewhere in that range that we will see a huge explosion in general aviation, a huge explosion in part 121 airlines, everything in aviation will get busy. Not only will the passenger demand come back, not only will the airliners be flying again, not only will we be, we be short on CFIs and short on pilots in general for corporate, for instruction, for banner towing, for skydiving, for everything as we get back into it. But UAS is only getting bigger and UAS drones are going to pull from the manned aircraft pilot population uh, as drones get more and more popular uh, and more and more prevalent. They are wonderful tools. Uh, I know they can be kind of scary and inconvenient for us in the national airspace system, but they are working hard to make them fit in well. And they are great tools. In fact, a drone actually just found a downed aircraft the other day. Uh, I was a student instructor in a 152, had an engine out. They landed off airport. The fire truck responded to the airport, but they were a mile from it or a half mile from it. Uh, a local uh, patrol officer sent up a drone that he had in his trunk of his squad car and immediately found the aircraft, directed emergency services to them to get them help, get them to the hospital sooner. Much better than waiting 15, 20 minutes for a police helicopter to come and try to search for them. Uh, drones are great tools, and that is also going to be a huge explosion in the aviation sector. So I think, you know, times are tough right now, but it's hard not to be positive because things are looking really good in the future. Yes, they always look good in the future. And and one of the things I think that we have to realize as you look back in life, you know, things don't happen forever. I mean, they, they we get over these little bumps in the road. If you look back in your life, you see something that happened. We You got through it. And that's what's going to happen here. It might take a little while, um, but it's all based on your attitude. And John, you have a great attitude, that's for sure. And uh, we all can learn from that. Again, John, thanks for being here. And uh, we can't wait to see more of your videos coming out here shortly. What's up next, by the way? Well, uh, the Cherokee series is probably the big thing that's coming out here that you'll be seeing on YouTube, uh, about 25 videos from this Piper Cherokee of how do your ailerons work? How, where do those cables run? What does your fuel tank look like on the inside? And how does that fuel gauge, that unreliable fuel gauge that flutters around in flight, how does that actually work? And what does it look like sitting inside that tank? Uh, we did one where how long will your engine run without oil? So we actually severed the oil line, let it pump out seven quarts of oil. It only took about 15 seconds to pump out all that oil and then just ran the engine until it seized up. And then we tried to run it again. So there's about 25 of those videos uh, on YouTube that are going to be coming out between now and the end of June. And then you'll also see about 100 of those videos diving really deep into the systems knowledge. How do the brakes work? How do the flight controls work? What's going on behind the panel? No excuse for anyone to have any trouble on the systems portion of their check rides uh, is why we created this video series. Uh, you'll see about 100 of those videos on flyatmikealpha.com. And, uh, and to your point, you know, times will get better. But uh, remember, everyone out there that's listening to this, times get better, not just because time goes on. We don't just sit at home and just wait for the stay-at-home order to end and then things get better. Times get better because we're all working during this. Now is a time to double down to work harder, to study more, to set goals for yourself and achieve them. And through that, our collective economy, our society, our communities will get better because all of us do our part to be the very best we can be in aviation, in our everyday jobs, at home. We do the best that we can, and that will make our communities stronger. That will make our economy stronger. That will be what causes the recovery here in our country and around the world. And that will be what spurs the next huge jump in aviation coming here in the next year or two. 
Can't agree more. And if you're listening right now and you have questions, by the way, for John or myself, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can also go to his website, fly8mikealpha.com. Boy, I tell you, it's always great to have someone on that's that's so positive. But one thing I want to tell you, the listener right now, is if if you're looking at you know your situation and you feel like you can't do anything, you can. And that's why I always feel, and I always end this way, is the fact that what you need to do, you need to do something now. When you turn this off, this podcast off, when you stop jogging, you know, shut off your car, whatever it is, I want you to pick up the phone, make a note, call somebody, get on the internet, do a search, watch one of Fly 8 Mike Alpha's uh, videos, but I want you to do something now. Don't stop. Keep moving forward. It could be a large step. It could be a small step. It could be a huge leap. It could just be picking up the phone and talking to somebody, but I want you to do something today to move forward in your career. Well, we'll talk to you next episode and safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.